0: Thank mm-hmm. morning, Turks and uh, Caicos. Welcome to the program, Expressions. I'm your host, Robert Hall. First of all, let me apologize for getting started late. Of course, I'm always on time, uh, but there are some issues that are being resolved. I know the Honorable Akira Mizik is supposed to be my guest. She is always on time, likewise, but uh, there are some issues that she... I believe she is um, at the studio in Providenciales. So we'll get the show on the road momentarily. I want to welcome you throughout the Turks and Caicos Islands, wherever you happen to be. Uh, Good morning to you down there in West Caicos, uh, over on Amagris Keys. Good morning to all of you down there in Providenciales. And coming up the chain, how are you over there in Pine Key and Parrot Key? The Twin Islands of North and Middle Caicos, over in the Big South, gearing up, are uh, just ready now for regatta this weekend. Uh, good morning to all of those, all of us here in the nation's capital, Grand Turk, and over in Salt Key. A good morning. A good morning to all members of the diaspora who may be tuned in. And others around the world. This is Expressions. Let us begin the show with a word of prayer. Let us pray. Our Father and God, with so much trouble in the world, we thank you for this place to call home, Turks and Caicos Islands. We have our share of problems, but at least We do not hide from bombs and many of the other problems that people in other countries are faced with, we are blessed in the light that we are not faced with the same. We thank you for your manifold blessings. Thank you for those of us who have lived to see this day. And for those souls who have departed, we pray that they have been able to make peace with their God. There are those getting ready to bury their dead on the weekend. We pray that you would strengthen and comfort them. There are those who are on their sickbed, some dying. Others... If it is your will, extend your healing hand, reminding them that you are still in the miracle business. And for the many troubled youths throughout this land, we pray that you would help them to turn around their lives before it is too late. Bless us today, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Anyone calling expressions will have to wait until the appropriate time. And, of course, if it's a private call, then you call me after the show. Anyway, again, I want to welcome all of you to this show today. And I know some of you have been wondering, why is Mr. Hall eight minutes late? Well, I mentioned to you already, it's not because of any tardiness on my part or that of the minister, just some other issues. And so with that, uh, I am here in the studio in Grand Turk, and the Honorable Akira Mizek is at the studio in Providencialis. Of course, I would have rather be sitting across from her to look into her blue or black eyes, whatever it is. That's the way I like to do it. But I guess if you can't get to do it the way you like to do it, then you do it the way you can. Honorable Akira, I want to welcome you to Expressions.
1: Thank you very much, Honorable Hall. I am indeed honored and privileged to spend the next two hours with you and your listeners. And they are brown eyes. I'm a mystic, and we got brown eyes. (laughs) All right, all right, okay.
0: (laughs) But anyway, as usual, I like to interject some music in my shows. And I'm going to start off with one to get some of you folks jumping and not on the job. But this is a song, at least a line of it, that was very popular with the late Chief Minister Bobs Francis, Solid as a Rock. Solid
1: as a Rock.
2: Mm-hmm. Each mistake
3: oh, you forgave you. And soon and both, both of us Learn to trust own. Not run away, run away. It was no time to play We build it up And build it up And build it up And now it's time
4: We managed, we had to stick to
0: Bet you haven't heard that number in a long time. It takes Bob Hall and expressions to remind you of it. Anyway, <laughs> my guest is there, and I guess she is smiling. I wish I could have you know, really looked into her face. But anyway. <laughs> now, honorable minister, it has been some time since we have sat down in this manner. And some would say, and not since you were fired. I would say euphemistically, since you were relieved of your ministerial posts. And uh, as an introduction, that simply means you are freer to answer any question as you are not barred with this collective responsibility for the benefit of the public ministers have to be very guarded in terms of what they say because of collective responsibility cannot easily speak out of turn etc etc but a backbencher although some do not like it it's just a parliamentary term referring to those who are not ministers they are not bound by that yes depending on what it is they may face some scrutiny from their party as such, but they're certainly not bound by that uh, privilege. So let's go back a bit to when you got into politics. Yes, you ran on the PNP ticket. But to dispel, if possible, the notion that some people have, and trust me, I'm engaged in dialogue day and night, and last night I was in a very, very Very good one, with some brilliant young men. I may refer to some of that a little little later on. But anyway, and um, just the other day, I was talking to a couple 18-year-old because those are the ones that I'm beginning to engage, 18, 35, 40, and so on, because where I am, I'm moving on. (laughs) You know what I mean. But it's important that those younger ones understand from whence we came and how we got here. There is this notion... That people are mainly entering politics to get pensions, and that all politicians are corrupt. And I say <laughs> no on either case. I don't believe that. There are some sincere individuals, and many would have gone into politics, pension or no pension. So let's start there, Honorable Minister. I'll, I'll, I'll have to, it will take me some time to change that one. But anyway, Honourable Member for Leeward, what's your take on
1: that? Well, my take on it first is that in order to go into politics to secure the pension benefit at the end of your service, you have to be re-elected twice, and the way how Turks and Caicos Islanders have been voting for the last twelve years since I've been engaged in politics. That is very rare. If you look at the current makeup of the House of Assembly, there are only four of us that have been re-elected on multiple occasions. So that's myself, the Premier, the Minister of Tourism, and the leader of the opposition. We have seen in two consecutive elections a suite of first-time candidates being elected. And so if you look at the historical voting pattern of Turks and Caicos Islanders for the last 12 years, you really are not getting into this with the idea of securing a pension after a cumulative of eight years of service. There's no guarantee of any form of reelection, And so If there are persons who are entering based on that, then the people see it, and they may not be re-elected. Those that come in with a sincere approach of we want to enhance the lives of the people of these islands, we want to build a sustainable and resilient Turks and Caicos Islands, we want to make lives better, those, the people whether they're watching us in the parliamentary chamber, they interact with us in the public events or the supermarket, or even just calling us and us returning their call. The people know who are genuine and who are there for the right reasons, which is the betterment of either their communities or the country on a whole. And just touching on the first point about concerns about me moving forward i am a member of the progressive national party and that will not be changing anytime soon if the people of leeward and long bay at the end of this term decide that they would like to go in a different direction i will not fight that i will i will not put myself forward as a candidate for them And I will happily support and endorse whomever they decide that they would like to battle it out in the next general election to be their member of parliament. But I'm here. I love the Turks and Caicos Islands. I love my people of these islands. I love my constituency. I want better for all of us. Of course, now my focus is no longer the national agenda given that i have been relieved of being a member of cabinet and so leeward and long bay and their interests would would be the only thing in my mind and i shared that during the budget debate that i was not 100% pleased with the offerings that we were to receive in this financial year but i have been advised by cabinet colleagues that our constituency will not miss out. And so I will hold them to their word and I will continue to keep my pressure on to ensure that we have the necessary infrastructure development in our community that we have promised the people of Leeward and Long Bay when they elected the five at large and returned me to Grand Turk as their member of parliament.
0: It is remarkable that... The premier, in his wisdom, removed you from your portfolio. Some would have thought that perhaps you'd go on the other side. Some thought, well, maybe you will go to the independent side of it or launch something new. But it speaks volume of you as an individual and as a politician that you decided to stay the course. And then i just heard you say you don't intend to change anytime soon but let me ask you this what kind of relationship do you share with the premier there must must have been a little bad blood somewhere i don't think he gave the public Any specific reasons? And you have been, should I say, perhaps a bit coy about that likewise. Do you care to speak to that issue?
1: I'm happy to speak to the issue. There is no bad blood. There was a disagreement on a matter. And given my position, either the Premier was going to relieve me from my position or I would have resigned. And the only reason that the disagreement occurred was purely because we were looking at it very strongly from our different corners. And I think the both of us were holding so strong on our positions that we did not allow each other to walk to the middle and find a middle ground. And that's fine because that's the beauty of the Progressive National Party. We have thought thinkers in our group. We have independent-minded persons, and we have persons who see things from different avenues. And so the Premier and I have a professional relationship, and I have a professional relationship with the rest of the colleagues in Cabinet. I have returned to private sector, and I am a lawyer, and currently I have clients that are suing this government. And so I have to keep the relationships professional because I wouldn't want them to be reduced to or use the intimate relationships that I would have had with cabinet colleagues prior to influence decisions that need to be made on my clients' behalf. I have a very creative mind where I have to divorce the politics side of my brain from the legal side of my brain because I appreciate that some clients are of the view that I should just pick up the phone and call the respective minister and have that discussion that would not be professional in that regard of having to write a formal correspondence to the Attorney General's chambers and await a response and get the answer from the minister directly. I'm unable to do that. That would be unethical for me to use my political connection to the, for the advancement of my professional work as a lawyer. And so there are some days where I walk a very thin line because members of cabinet and i worked together for those 18 months and you form friendships you form relationships you have discussions and conversations that are not always about work because you spend so much time with each other and similarly to the relationships i would have developed with senior member of the public service directors through various departments. And so being back in the private sector, I am able to divorce the two and keep the political connections in one hand and the professional legal connections and work in the other hand. But in my honest view and communication to the people of these islands, Honorable Charles Washington Missick and I are not at war we do not have bad blood we are coexisting and where we need to draw on each other's strengths we are able to do so and we look forward of continuing working during the remainder of this term and looking forward to a successful re-election when that time comes because the work that my cabinet colleagues are doing especially the foundational work that would have been laid in PPID as it relates to the housing policy, I want to see successfully done for my people so that we can own a piece of the Turks and Caicos Islands pie and dream. And so I am not here to cause confusion. I am here to work where I'm needed and I'm here to be the voice, the strong voice of Leeward and Long Bay because that are <coughs> the people who stood in the hot sun on February twenty first and put their trust and faith in me for a third time.
0: Now your earlier part, parts of your earlier comments prompt me to ask two questions. One, you alluded to the strong disagreement that you and the Premier had, there are members of the public whom I'm sure would be extremely critical of me if I didn't ask you, is it possible to divulge what that disagreement was all about? Or are you covering that under cabinet
1: privilege or what? I have to leave it as cabinet privilege because it did happen in cabinet. And so until I vacated my role as a cabinet member on November seventh, I think it was, everything that happened prior to then is still confidential. And because of my legal background and confidentiality, I hold that very dear and close to to my heart. Now if at any stage the premier decides to speak on it, then I believe I would be able to follow suit. But because I hold the sanctity of cabinet as high as I do, then I will not speak on it publicly. Despite hearing rumors on, on the streets of what ex- happened that day and where the breakdown in our professional relationship had occurred, I'm still not in a position that I feel that I should breach cabinet confidentiality.
0: All right. um, I know there's a bearded individual who's going to say, Robert Hall, you're playing slick. But anyway, (laughs) let me.
1: I'm a big girl. I can handle people playing slick. All right. All right. The the second one,
0: perhaps you may choose to answer in the same light. In in this case, lawyer-client privilege. Because you talk about individuals suing government, and of course, yes, I have a lot of clients. We we
1: suing government left, right, and centre
0: right now. And of course, (laughs) inquiring minds want to know suing government about
1: what? Well, it has to do with some payments that persons feel they're entitled to that they have not received. It has to do with some crown land matters that persons also feel that they were in a position and government has reneged on an agreement. And then there are general concerns, whether it's immigration-related applications for various immigration-style documents. And so my background prior to politics and during opposition and now, obviously, my return to practice is litigation. So when disagreements happen between parties, they need a lawyer to push either a resolution to be found and sought or to write and ask for clarification and if the clarification is not one that they feel is sufficient or where it should be, then I have to start drafting pleadings and head down to the Supreme Court and have the judge make a final decision. So it's actually quite hilarious because obviously the Honorable Attorney General, and I have worked together for many years, whether I was in Cabinet or in opposition. And so it's it's interesting that I'm having to write strong letters before action to my friend. But we're professionals, and the same thing I must say, all the officers in the Attorney General's chambers, they are amazing. The Deputy Ad- Attorney General... Ms. Kalaila, I've had to write to Ms. Yara McCartney, and so it is what it is. We're, we're just doing the best that we can as lawyers representing our various clients' views.
0: I would never question your professional integrity, but I was just thinking out loud and wondering when such conflicts arise, where a client of yours wants to sue government... Because of your relative loyalty to government, as well as to your client, do you recuse yourself?
1: No, because my loyalty, when it comes to the legal profession, is my client. And my client's position, to me, government, in the sense of it, is just the defendant, the respondent, or the other party. So I'm loyal to the Progressive National Party I am in a position to hold cabinet ministers accountable for their decision making, their investment of taxpayers' funds into the development of these islands and decisions that they make. That doesn't mean that my loyalty to the party is not where it needs to be at 100%. As a backbencher, or as just an MP, as we like to refer to ourselves, we have a fiduciary responsibility to ensure that the executive, which makes up the cabinet members, the attorney general, deputy governor, and governor's office, are doing the best that they are supposed to do. And where we may think that they are falling down in an area, we have an obligation to bring it to their attention. So that's the politician work that I do. But as the attorney, the government is no more than just the other party. So that level of commitment, loyalty, wherewithal, seeking to big up, and celebrate the government's accomplishments, that does not impact the fact that a client may feel that they have been aggrieved. And I can support the fact that they feel aggrieved by a decision or an action of government. So this big G government, the entire public service, the entire policy base, the direction that they may be taking in matters, I am well able to divorce that from my mind and see them purely as the other party. And so, no, there's no issue in that regard. Where I would recuse myself would be if discussions and debate had taken place in cabinet while I was there, and now a client is challenging one of those decisions. And I have something like that, currently on the table where I have had to take a step back because I am well advanced in knowing where the cabinet was thinking when they made that decision at that time. And so despite the client wanting me to be their attorney on that matter, I had to transfer it over to another person in the firm because I just know way too much of the background information.
0: That is indeed admirable uh, to take that kind of stand. Well,
1: I have a good senior partner. My senior partner is Ariel Misik Casey, the preeminent lawyer here in the Turks and Caicos Islands, a former member of parliament. And so at the end of the day, I have really good mentorship and leadership with Ariel Misik at Missick and Stanbrook. And the beautiful part about it is He would say to me, yeah, 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 I know, I know, you have to hand that over. You have to hand that over. That's not a problem.
0: Interesting. Um, You know, uh, Ariel and myself were once colleagues in the political arena, and uh, whether he agrees or not, and I'm just going to throw this one in there, and I'm not going to spend much time on it. I think we made a mistake way back when we decided... Among ourselves, because the contention for leadership of the party at one stage rested between himself and myself, okay. but we decided rather than two young roosters fighting it out, make uh the, the chief minister, Look uh-huh. at, looking back, I think that was a mistake, but anyway, let me leave that, and I'm not', inviting any, <laughs> and I'm not that was invi-
1: before my time
0: <laughs> inviting any comments. but uh, let me go back a little bit to uh, some points you made with regards to pensions. Years ago, uh, under the political pension ordinance, one had to be elected for three consecutive terms or four broken terms. Mm -hmm. The Michael Mizek administration changed that and the age requirement, I believe, to just two terms. Mm -hmm. The public has been quite critical of that, and there is some expectation that the PNP in this term would change that when you consider. Now, I fully know the difference as far as the sacrifice that politicians have to make versus what civil servants go through, but when one considers how long civil servants have to work before... Getting retirement. Do you support the retention of this two-term, or would you support changing that to be at three or whatever?
1: I have supported changing it, and we have met as a Commonwealth Parliamentary Association (TCI) branch on, and that means all the members of Parliament outside of us sitting in the formal session of the chamber. I know you know that, Mr. Hall, because you were the you would have been the president during my first term of the CPA, but our listeners may not be aware of of the organization. Yes. And so we have put the proposals forward to the integrity commission because remember anything dealing with parliamentary remuneration needs their review Either report their sign off, etc., and so we actually did that in September or October of last year. The speaker has followed up with them on several occasions. I think we finally had some responses over the last few weeks from them, and they have advised that they have no real issue with us moving around the parliamentary term times which would qualify members for a pension and so it is set to increase in terms of the length of service that members of parliament would have to provide as well as the age is looking to increase I believe we settled on 60 as the age for when a pension could become payable to members who have met the term limits for the service. And I believe the term limits have returned to three consecutive terms or 12 years in the aggregate. aggregate.
0: Well, fine. I mean, c- quite frankly, and I'm going to add a little piece in a, in a bit, I always thought that that one was unfair to the public. Um, just for instance, somebody 55 is still a young person. And if it was so that individual just went in there to receive pensions and was successful for two terms, they could move on. And so then you have a whole lot of relatively young persons on pension a strain on the government coffers. And so I, I would like to see that change as possible. But, but, can I, but can I
1: give it the other way? Go ahead. So I'll use myself as an example. I got elected at 29. Yes. I just turned forty. Two weeks ago if i end my service in this capacity at the end of this term i would be 41 42 i would still have a eight-year waiting period before i would be able to draw down on my pension at 50 under the current structure right as i said the structure is seeking to change but nonetheless so then i would have a much longer period before I turned 60, to benefit from it. And so I can appreciate where the Michael Misick administration was going back then because I think it was an incentive for some people to kind of pick up their bags and go home and leave this frontline politics alone. And so that was the incentive at that time but given that we are now attracting younger members to serve in parliament so you have honorable Kyle Nold honorable Jamaica Williams honorable uh, ta, 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 ta. oh no i think it's only me, Kyle, and Jamaica or the young ones <laughs> on our side because um oh Randy as well honorable Randy he none of us are near 50 but. and so If they are successful of meeting the three terms, then they would be in their 50s by the time they trigger it and still have a period to wait until they're eligible to draw down on their pension. But the reality of the situation is it is hard out there when you leave frontline politics to either establish your own business or be employed. Because we carry a taint with us as parliamentarians, and it's an unfortunate taint that is bestowed upon us by the same people who attend our rallies, celebrate us, tell their friends and family to vote for us. And the moment we put our hands on the Bible, on that first sitting of the new term, we now become people that person's no longer like or respect. And we are corrupt the moment we put our hands on that Bible. And it is amazing how the public change on us so quickly when they're the ones that put us in this position to serve them. So it, I can appreciate the public's view that parliamentarians should not be carried and live off the public purse at the age of 50 and should serve longer in Parliament in order to benefit from that gift from the public purse. But I can also appreciate why younger persons may not be interested in coming into the political fray as young as I have done because once they leave and they're still young they may struggle to sustain themselves after with a business or full-time employment i am very blessed i am very lucky and my mother made very sensible sacrifices to ensure that i was educated in an area and skill which will always be needed in these islands, and so if at the end of any form of political and parliamentary service that I, that I give, I would still be able to provide and work in these islands due to the skill set that I have as an attorney.
0: Well, Robert Hall could write a book on that part. Exactly. <laughs> I will tell you. And um, the other piece that I want to add that I also think needs to be changed, and I'm not quite sure... Attention was paid to that. Why should, in this case now, the Premier or Chief Minister's pension be pegged to the salaries of the sitting PM? I think that's wrong. So in other words, let's say 20 years down the line, the salaries of the premier or prime minister goes up. prime minister. <laughs> right. I can't wait. You know, goes up by, say, 50%. Then those former chief ministers, premiers, their pensions must go up too. That's not right. Your pensions should be based on what your earnings were, just like the MPs, just like the speakers and others. And I always thought that that distinction
1: was rather unfair. How say ye? I agree that the distinction may seem unfair, but we have to appreciate that the Premier and eventually the Prime Minister would have held the highest office in the in the country bar being a governor. And so how inflammation... Inflammation. In- inflation is moving. Salaries should go up. Now, since I've been elected, members of Parliament's salaries have not increased. Despite increases happening in the civil service, the cost of living increasing, our salaries have remained the same. And again, the Integrity Commission, they're the ones that say yay or nay when they do a review on whether members of parliament and cabinet ministers' salaries should change. But given that that person would have held the highest office and they were given that office, not by the people, but by the persons who the people elected, their members of parliament, sitting down and saying, we agree that this person will lead us during this term as the Premier and Prime Minister, because they are appointed by the members in Parliament of the majority. And so by aligning yourself and making that agreement, you have said that we are setting this person apart from us and we are bestowing this gift of ultimate leadership, on the premier and or prime minister. And I'm going to keep saying prime minister because I'm going to keep speaking it into existence. (laughs) And so I can appreciate that and I can understand it. And also, if you look at it realistically, persons who we are agreeing to support as our premier and prime minister, they tend to be in their late 40s, early 50s, when it was Honorable Rufus Ewing... Honourable Charlene Cartwright, Honourable Michael Eugene, Honourable Galmo Williams. And now we have a Premier who is in his 70s, but when he became Chief, he would have been in his 40s as well. And so as a young country, we do put our beliefs and energy into younger persons in Parliament to lead us and lead this country.
0: Well... Whether you are chief minister or premier, you are first among equals. Yes, in Parliament. Correct. And I am of the view, and I'm not—I wasn't talking about salaries. And uh, because they're first among equals, generally their salaries are a bit above mm-hmm. the other ministers, mm-hmm. and that is why I would con- continue to argue. That when it comes to their pensions, their pensions should be pegged to their salaries, just like the, 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 the other ministers and speakers and whatever, as opposed to whatever the salary is of the sitting premier or prime minister.
1: But anyway. And it's only the sitting premier or prime minister when that person retires. So the pension wouldn't float. So if you have an, in, uh, premier that retires and the incoming premier salary is exactly the same as the outgoing premier and they retire that year and draw down on their pension, that is fixed on that person at the time of retirement. So an instance where you would probably see a great disparity take place— would be if you have a premier at the age of, say, 30 and they are ineligible to or they're eligible to draw down on their pension at 60. You would have had 30 years between them retiring and them drawing down on their pension where salaries would have fluctuated during that time. So I. Again, I think we can agree to disagree on that, but I can see where that provision came from and what the thinking behind it was when it was brought forward in the amendments back in, I think it was 2004 or five.
0: Well, I will not flog that horse much more here and now,
3: mm-hmm. but
0: let me move on. Earlier on, when you were talking about salaries and stuff, you made a statement to the effect, um, more or less encouraging young people Uh, and and that it was the hope then that some would pick up the bag and go home. Well, it doesn't seem like the premier is going to pack up his bag and go home. So wait, hold on.
1: No, no, I say none. We have coffee on this side of the studio. I was just drinking a sip.
0: Well, I I have water with lemon juice in it. All right. (laughs) Question then. Do you think he should pack his bag and go home? And if he should decide to run in the next election as leader, uh, would you support him or would you contest it against him?
1: No, I will not be contesting leadership. And the last interview we did together in Grand Turk, I pledged my support behind Honorable Charles Washington Missick. Very clearly, if he decides to run as leader, I will not be contesting him. I am a woman. Of my word, my position a year ago is exactly the same today. Despite what people would like to say out there, there is no AK for party leader campaign going on in any way, shape or form. Do I think the Premier should pack up his bags and go? That's a decision for the people to make. We have to understand that the Premier does have a vision for the islands that the cabinet members have bought into, that the party has bought into. If we are in the train of the development of achieving that vision, then why change the train conductor? But again, it is really up to the people at the end of the day. Yes, the PNP Council, when it comes to our National Congress, will have the leadership position on the table, and for me, it would really depend on who is stepping forward and believe that they are now ready to continue the vision, because I think it's a very good vision, and I do see where in the next 10 to 15 years, if we are successful in achieving what is set out in the citizens' contract today... We will see Turks and Caicos Islanders being on the top of this country, being at the top of the food chain. And yes, I know that we are saying it's impossible, but hard decisions need to be made and need to be made with a plan and not ad hoc so that we can be sustainable at the top of the food chain in these islands. And so it is in that regard that I would support Charles Washington Missick to continue driving the train forward. So um,
0: I take it then that even if a young person, vibrant with a great vision, comes on the scene, at least for the next election, you are prepared to go with the Charles Washington Missick's vision.
1: As of today, yes, because no young, vibrant visionary has called me and said that this is what they're considering and laying out their plans for me to lend my support. What I will not do is ad hocly throw my support and the support of the people of Leeward and Long Bay on a whim. So if there is someone out there that is preparing to do that and they're ready to outline their position this is the time that they should be reaching out to me and leeward and long Bay's team because we don't make decisions that are rash we make calculated well researched and thought out decisions so as of today my support will continue to be charles washington missick and as of today i will not be putting my name forward to challenge him as leader of the Progressive National Party?
0: Well, I don't think anything could be made uh, much clearer
1: than that. No problem. Talking but, about. But you know, mischief on the streets. So hopefully the streets listen. Yes, and I'm not trying to be a mischief maker. No, you're not. And I'm glad we're having this conversation because I respect you and I know you would come from a place of just transparency. And that's why I always enjoy the time that we get to spend on expressions, speaking honestly, open, and transparently for the people of the islands to understand.
0: Uh, That's mutual. That's mutual. Uh, Talking about vision... It would appear that the idea of changing the Tourist Board to Destination Marketing was part of the vision of Charles Washington Music. Is that a vision that you fully embrace? Speak to us of that.
1: Yes, so it was his vision, and during our campaign and putting together... citizens' contract, he laid it out for us to get behind. I didn't choose that as a platform piece for me to campaign on. My platform piece was housing and crown land. And so that was my focus because that's my heart, my passion. I want to see my people in amazing accommodation that they can afford and pass down to their children and build generational wealth. And I think that comes from The fact that I was in my 30s and know several of my contemporaries who are struggling to get their first home, who want to get out of apartments, who want to build generational wealth and who want to feel that they are progressing in their personal life. Because owning a home is something that we were taught was a great thing. And so that was my platform piece that I focused on. But as it relates to the DMO, I understand the nature of the transition. It is seeking to ensure that those who are benefiting from the beautiful by nature Turks and Caicos Islands are actually putting their money back into the marketing and highlighting of these islands through the destination management organization. I also understand and I think this may have been lost during the budget debate because with 30 minutes, that goes by very quickly, but the minister didn't get a chance due to time constraints to really explain that there will be a tourism regulatory authority in the Ministry of Tourism, which will have the oversight and regulation that the Tourist Board would have done along with the marketing aspect that the Tourist Board did. So basically, the Tourist Board as we know it was split in the middle and half of their responsibilities has returned to government which provides for more ministerial direction and oversight with the tourism regulation regulatory department and now the marketing of the destination will be shared between TCIG and those that are operating in the destination and the cost of their operation will have a dollar and cents value to it that they have to put into this DMO so that we can market the destination and the different brands more than we were able to do under the Tourist Board due to financial constraints. I think persons must acknowledge that the Tourist Board was subvented by government, and so they drew down from the public purse And the public purse has many assets that it draws or many departments that have to draw down from it. So if you can have a standalone body where TCIG does have involvement, is able to contribute to the decisions, the discussions, because TCIG also will be appointing directors of the organization. And then you have the private sector Partners in the organization who also can assist, can debate, can bring forward ideas on how the marketing structure, the advancement of the various amenities of the destination can take place, but also their financial commitment to the marketing of the destination is also pursuant to the development of the DMO. So, long story short, although I just gave an extremely long story, I do support the development of the DMO, and change is uncomfortable, but change is constant. And I believe that a year from now, we will see where the benefit of the destination management organization will be to the benefit of these islands and bringing in the amount of guests and new services, new brands, and new partnerships for these islands moving forward.
0: Well, I too endorse the concept of a DMO. However, the transition from Tourist Board to DMO does not only involve a change in system shifting papers around, or money as the case might be. They involved individuals, individuals with feelings, individuals with families, some with great qualifications. I wish there was someone who today could tell me how many members of the Tourist Board have opted to go into the private sector I know you're not the Minister for Tourism and so on mm-hmm. and so on, but I've got to throw it out there anyway. Uh, how many may have retired? Because the, the message that is now, because of the redundancy and they having received their packages, like saying, government told all 15 of them, go home. And that certainly is not what Charles Washington Mizik said to me at the inception of this. And, uh, and so I can't see all 15 going home. Mm-hmm. Could you clear the air a little bit for me, please?
1: I can't clear the air, but I can say I believe the entire handling of the transition from tourist board to DMO when it related to the employees may have been fumbled. I'm a straight shooter. My auntie Betty just text me that and say I am definitely Cornelia pasca missick's grandchild so somebody so dropped I'm the ball i'm going to give it to you so, straight
0: so somebody dropped the ball
1: i believe the way things were communicated to the employees was not done in a sensitive manner i actually do redundancy practices for some of my clients covid was definitely a period where a lot of my large scale clients had to make persons redundant And there is a process that needs to be followed, but there's a level of empathy that is definitely needed as you are telling someone that their position would no longer be needed in an organization. You are aware that this was their livelihood, and now they are in a position that they have to find new employment or open their own business you need a level of empathy as you do that and you marshal your way through that process unfortunately for the tourist board you, we have had three chairmen since this term has started so we've had two chairmen resign resign and we now have a, a new chairman who has to see through the last 3 months of the migration or the dissolution of the tourist board and the standing up of the DMO and we've also lost the CEO and now we had an acting CEO or director I think that's the the title for the board yes. so you lost a director during this this period you had an acting director during this period and now you have a interim director. And so I verily believe that some of the empathy, some of the understanding and sympathetic approach that should be used during a redundancy exercise was not in play during this period. And because things had gotten out into the public so quickly and Fuel was added to the fire that persons felt that they were being tossed out of the building. When, in essence, the board is being dissolved, the ordinance is being repealed, the structure will no longer exist, and these persons with the brilliant qualifications will receive a financial benefit or that they have earned because of their loyalty and commitment to the organization. And now they have the option of either joining the new DMO by applying. And because they're brilliant, they will fit in with the DMO. And I don't really think none of them have any any issue with being engaged by that organization. And or moving in a different direction of joining another institution or setting up on their own or even retiring. In that regard. So I do believe that the ball was dropped in terms of being communicative, sympathetic and empathetic to the drastic change of the lives of the employees of the Tourist Board. Well,
0: um, moving on, and shortly I'm going to take a break, let you sip your coffee or tea.
1: I just run out. I need Mr. <laughs> Jared to bring me another cup of coffee. Oh, While well,
0: I sip on my water and lime juice All right lemon juice. But um, all I want to see is that those brilliant, eminently qualified young people are absorbed into the new organization. Of course, it means they need to apply. And so although their feathers may have been rumpled, I hope that they would look carefully at the offerings that are there and do apply. I'm going to ask. I
1: support that, too. And I encourage them as well.
0: right. I'm going to ask my Texan operator to play, uh, pull up another lovely song, uh, mm-hmm. one that I like, and I'm sure uh, my guests would like also. I hope it's Burner Boy. Uh, well, anyway, I'm sure you would <laughs> like it. Uh, let's go, R.I.G. <laughs> I call you, I need you. I'm It's one of my favorite songs, and I know Curtis and Bearded One and a couple others of you wondering whether I'm playing it for myself or I'm playing it for the Honorable. Well, keep on wondering, all right? <laughs> this is Expressions, the people's program on a Wednesday. On a housekeeping note, others of you who want to be guests on this show, please give me a week advance notice so that I could fill you in. I certainly would cherish having the leader of the opposition on at his convenience, uh, the Premier, because it's been some time, and certainly the Minister of Tourism and others. I think sometime next week I'll have the Minister of Education and her team on uh, to speak on some particular issues. But listen, uh, this show is for the people. It's Expressions. I'm going to open the phone lines now because this is a very important segment of the show. Not that I have gone through, and I don't write these questions, you know. I just let them flow, okay? But right now in my mental computer, I still have dozens of questions left. And I, I will feel them depending on your calls. And so I'm going to suggest that you call as quickly as you can. Make your statements and questions as brief as possible so we can have as much participation as we can. The number to call is one 2222 7 My text number is 244-7332. Let me read the first text for the morning. And this person says, Home people are too ungrateful. As long as things going their way Check and see how much is going on. There is action with regards to repatriation, and some may be the ones hiding them or refuse to call immigration when they see illegal on the street. If you see wrong, why not make a call and talk to the individuals in authority? A.K., kudos to you. If there were many in TCI like you we would move on and be a better place. But it seems sometimes like God himself cannot please us. We just complain, complain. Interesting comment. The number to call is one 900 22 do Hey, Karen, if you want to acknowledge the compliment paid to you by that texter.
1: Yes, I would like to say thank you so much. To the person who commented, I always appreciate when persons take the time out to say encouraging words to me and about whatever the work that I'm doing, because they don't have to. I'm here to serve, whether I'm complimented or encouraged or not. And so it is always warming of my heart when persons say thank you or encourage me or give me a shout out. So thank you so much. Zoya could tell you, I'm smiling very big here in, in the studio right now.
0: And good morning to the lovely Zoya Fassler. How are you? We have a caller there. Uh, have we lost it? Perhaps we have them hanging on too long. Hello. Uh, oh, good morning, caller.
3: Hello, Mr. Bob. Uh,
0: good morning. How are you doing dear sir? I am fine. And how are you, Foggy? Always nice to hear your voice, my brother.
2: Man, I'm just cool, just cool. We're okay. listening to your you and the Honorable kind of conversation from the beginning to the end. Um, and I will support the Honorable all the time, because when she's on radio, or if she's talking in general, she talks clearly, and which these persons could understand what she's saying. She makes herself very clear, and I think if we had a few more people like the Honorable Dear Rappasite and us, you'll have a good talks and cake. It. You'll have a bad talks and cake. It. So, Honorable, I will always be on your side and keep doing what you're doing because you make things sound nice and simple. That's Foggy if you don't know who I am. So, have a
0: nice day, Mr. Hall, and you also, Honorable. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Honorable A.K., you got to respond because when Foggy Williams from the Garden pay you that kind of compliments, let me tell you something, that is that's, indeed a That's compliment. big time. Yes.
1: Yes. So thank you so much, Mr. Williams, and we have known each other for many years, and you have always been so open, honest, and supportive of me. And when I may not have done something in the right manner, you were always there to say honorable Please look into this. I think this is not the right way. Something should be done. And I love that level of openness and transparency between our supporters, our friends, and persons of these islands who just want the best Turks and Caicos for their children, their grandchildren, and the future generations. So, Mr. William, you got me a little teary-eyed just now. And so I'm really grateful, and I'm humbled for your kind, very kind words. Thank you. The number to call is
0: 1-900-2222-007. Let's have it rapid fire, um, you know, because time just slips away. We uh, do not have the longest time song. left. Yes. I can understand that, AK, because I'll tell you something. I'm similar to you. I I could, you know, you could curse me, you could do whatever. That doesn't move me, but when certain compliments come my way, uh, you know, and some nice gentle words, the, those are the one that really gets to my soul. Oh yes. yeah, yeah, I can understand that, baby. Um, pardon the expression, baby, but that's <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> that's just Robert Hall. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The number to call is one nine hundred twenty-two twenty-two zero zero seven. Uh, Professor Lee Ingham, you said you wanted to um, get something across. This is your opportunity right now. Um, You don't have to write it in, simply um, call. Others of you, well, if you're hesitant to call, now listen, I've got questions. And uh, if I continue, then uh, when we are talking, your call will have to wait. But I want to give you the opportunity. So, does anyone else with a call? Uh, anything they a question they want to ask or commend they want to make, then feel free to do so. In the meantime, and in between time, as the late Daddy Cool used to say, I want to say good morning to uh, Mr. Bobby Fulford, uh, who um, I wanted to have wished him happy birthday the other day, but the shows keep being put off because the station is occupied. And to Miss Baby Taylor, both of them are Bobby I think, turned something like 97 or thereabout, and uh, Miss Baby turned uh, 95, I believe. All right? Again, belated happy birthday to you two good folks. Uh, I want to say give a little shout-out to Alicia Mizick, uh, Enid Smith, Norma Forbes, Pat Simmons, Gwendolyn Laborde, Uh, Miss Carla Hall, Mrs. Rather, uh, to Mr. and Mrs. Colton Mills and, you know, the entire family. It was sure nice to see Blossom the other day when she was here. Oh, she is still blossoming, I tell you. Is there another call? one nine hundred twenty-two twenty-two zero zero seven. 7 or you're trying to tell me A.K. has cleared the air so well that you are left dumbfounded, you don't have a question or a comment? Well, okay, let's get it on AK, and I hope you don't mind me. That's uh, people affectionately call you AK. <laughs> I don't always use the honorable honorable, but you. Yeah, know.
1: A- AK is fine. Which, I actually gave the story of how AK became my nickname to one of my new colleagues at the firm. So just, we have an amazing. Just, just,
0: just hold a break. We have a caller. Let's take that and then okay. you get back to your explanation. Caller, go right ahead. Welcome to Expressions.
2: Good afternoon.
0: Good Mr. afternoon Hall and to my cousin A.K. Good
2: afternoon, my dear. Yes, good afternoon, Mr. Hall.
0: Good afternoon.
2: To my cousin A.K. Afternoon. My name is Donna Henschel calling all the way from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Wow. How but are you? I wanna say the reason why I'm calling is because every time I apply for my pension I worked in the Turks and Caicos Islands from 1989 to 2001. Now I understood. I have to go gather information which department I work and which year did I work for that department and have somebody say, yes, I work in Hall, <laughs> well, Never in my life have I heard about anything like this. Listen to me. The government of the Turks and Caicos better get it right and get my pension on the ball because I need my money. My one child died, they took my money and do whatever they want to do with the NIV. I need my pension. Mr. Hall, somebody in government needs to look into this. I cannot afford a lawyer to go and get everybody else, I had my gratuity. Why I can't get my pension? Huh? Mr Willie Jennings deceased. Mr. Alpheus Garner deceased. Why I have to go and gather information of the years I work in, who, what department I work under. When I worked in the Turks and Kings Islands government, for the government, I worked in various capacities. I did five vote control books at a time. And they weren't even on computer at that time. I had to actually write with a pen. Mr. Hall, the injustice that goes on in the Turks and Kings Islands, they better be careful. I need somebody to look into my pension. I need someone.
0: Rest assured.
2: Thank you. Now that you have thank raised you, Mr. it, Hull. there NK, are. Okay, big up to you. Mr. Hall, thank you. You were my teacher. Thank you.
0: Boy, I was your teacher. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, I have made note of it, and certainly I will raise it with the acting governor. Um, yes. Because. Any individual who has qualified to earn their pension, they should get it. No, I agree. And they shouldn't have to prove this and prove that the establishment should have a record of that person's service.
1: Yes, they should. But, or and, because two things can be correct at the same time. I have had to assist other persons who have retired from government to secure their pension as we were advised during that time that during Hurricane Ike, a lot of the human resource records that was in that office was damaged during the storm and that mold, you know, had ravaged a lot of the government offices and that may have been one of the offices that suffered from... The records damaged, because I definitely remember the Supreme Court also suffered significant damage during Hurricane Ike. So it could be because that an affidavit, which is a document where you swear that the contents of what is written is true and honest, would assist with just setting out your resume of the time you joined government, the various departments you worked in, and sign that off, and that can then be used to rebuild your human resource file. Which may—I'm not saying that it was—but if they're asking for further information to supplement your pension, re- um, your pension request, I am of the view that your records would have been damaged during Hurricane Ike when several of the buildings were damaged. And so an affidavit should be sufficient for the Human Resource Department here to bolster your employment file and then transfer it over to the Accountant General who is responsible for putting the various payments and the pension funds through the Treasury system and then we should be able to get your pension drawn down. And if you are past the drawdown age significantly, then you should also be entitled to back pay.
0: Thanks very much. Well, all I'm going to suggest, AK, you deal with it from your angle, I'll deal with it from my angle.
1: Teamwork Ex- makes a dream work.
0: Yes, expressions do get results sometime. sometimes. Yes, say, you do. And I want to say thanks to those two persons. I'm not going to name them who called me just the other day or rather text me to say thanks for helping to sort out a particular problem that they had. All right, people do listen to expressions, contrary to what some say about uh, uh, people don't listen anymore or whatever there is. (laughs) You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised who are listening. Do we have another caller there? Oh, we've lost that one. The number to call is one nine hundred twenty two twenty two zero zero seven. 2222 7 Okay, the person, uh, whoever else that is, here's the call then.
4: Welcome to Expressions. Yes, good morning, Mr. Hall. Good morning to yourself and the Honourable Lily. Good morning. Mr. Hall, um, it's ironic, but I think the first time we've ever heard any explanation in terms of how the whole wrapping up of this DMO process was going to be played out was probably just now with the whole discussion that you and the Honourable Minister would have had. And I I think that's part of the challenge. Part of the challenge is the communication component of whatever it is, the government is proposing to do and the government is proposing to outline. Now, one of the challenges for me with that whole situation is I understand that the wrapping up of the situation is going on and it seems like, and and for clarity, is the entirety of the DMO going to be situated in providentialis, or is it a scenario where they're going to have branch offices? If that is the case, I think that would make the situation a bit appealing. But again, we don't know what the information says in terms of how this process is going to be. Because if it's going to be a situation where it's going to be predominantly all the job offerings in in providentially, that does propose a challenge for some of the people because they would have had established lives in Grand Tuck and elsewhere, and so that's a serious consideration. And so I think some of these things, like the honourable would have said, from an empathetic standpoint, makes it easier for people to accept the transition when they have appropriate information, in, in terms of making those decisions. And the last statement I would want to make is that. Um, I, 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 I'm pleased to see that, you know, we're, we're toting the last budget that was passed as a racket budget and racket performance. Um, the ministers and the government basically formulate policy. But, but to the benefit of public offices, we are the ones that carry out and implement this policy.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
4: if the policies are successful and the government is raving that everything was successful, then we're going to be looking forward to a very meaningful and, 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 and beneficial Regrading with regard to public offices, because Mm -hmm. if if, if all of the beautiful things that the government would have said during the budget speeches is is so and record numbers were achieved and all of these things, it is on the backs of public offices that it was done. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just making a lovely appeal to say that since we help to generate the spoil, we would love to to, to benefit and see a proportion of that being remitted to us in terms of the pay and grading review. Anyway, good day, Mr. Hall. And you have a lovely day, sir.
0: Yes, that is the life of my brother. Not too many people want to plant the corn, but almost everybody <laughs> want to raid the barn. <laughs> I love that song. Good morning to Tom Wells down there in Middle Caicos and all the uh, folks there. Good morning to you, uh, Honorable AK. Yes,
1: so thank you. I believe that was Mr. Williams. I picked up on his voice. Yes. Yes, excellent. Thank you, Mr. Williams, for your questions, comments, and encouragement as well. So as it relates to the DMO, I have not seen the final structure as I had left cabinet before that was disclosed or agreed by cabinet colleagues. But I do understand when we were discussing it moving forward that there is to be a Grand Turk component because in Grand Turk, you do have brands You have your cruise center there, but you also have the hotel and the upcoming hotel that is being built. So those are brands. And then you have your tour operators as well. And so there should be a presence of a participant for the DMO in terms of ensuring that the amenities and projects and activities in Grand Turk has a fair Involvement in the DMO. Similarly, as it would have done with the tourist board, where you have an officer there, but also you had a member of the board makeup be a Grant Turk resident and tourism provider, tur- tourism services provider. So I would expect that there would be a Grant Turk component to the DMO. But in terms of the tourism regulation department, I believe that that recruitment will be across Grand Turk and Providenciales and I do believe that with that department we will see some of the tourist board employees who would have been in the regulation arm of the tourist board now seeking to transition over to TCIG. As it relates to salaries, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Mr. Williams, that this paying grading review should result in not only persons being placed in the right grades, but an actual uplift of all the grades across TCIG. Because if we continue the trend that persons below grade five uh, should, the position should only be open for Islanders, I think we need to start rethinking that and looking at upping the restrictions On non-Islanders applying for different grades in TCIG. I appreciate that there will always be a requirement for the importation of certain skills in the islands, but I am a firm believer that we should always exhaust all opportunities of Islanders being able to be in a position to apply for these roles before we open it up for expatriates consideration. And when I say not only considered, where an Islander may have a skills gap, have them in the role and help them bolster that skill, whether that's by them doing the courses in the evening or having a short time person come in, like a change manager that is focusing on building the skills gap that the islander may have, but I, I appreciate that our agenda is ambitious, and we need help from our friends outside. Because I remember the leader of the opposition criticizing professional and consultants, and knowing that his government had relied on professional consultants as well, just tickled me as is tickling me again i just wondering, leader of the opposition, where we were going with that argument. You had you had so many other opportunities don't, don't, in that don't, don't, budget don't to jab, stand don't, on. Don't
0: jab the man today, man. He no, I no, he, 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 he had, he had him. plenty in the house.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, he say he's David, and he's fighting Goliath. I mean, at this rate, I ain't think Goliath on the other side, because them little five Stones he throw, they land, they land sufficiently.
0: Anyway, we have another like, caller. We have another caller. Sorry to interrupt here. Trent. No, it's fine. Caller, please go right ahead.
1: Good morning.
0: Good morning.
5: Mr. Hall and Honorable A.K. Morning. Um I am calling to compliment our Donna Hanchel on what she called in to say. I am in the same boat as she am. As okay. she is. And okay, I must I say I have been checking departments, and uh, the Treasury is number one. And I've been to the Home Office and their check. And my file cannot even be found in the Treasury. And I worked for government for 35 years. And I don't get no NIB pension. And I'm still working on it to make sure that I get my pension, because I work hard and I know I deserve it.
0: I know the voice. I feel
5: sorry for her, her 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 situation, but we are in the same boat. Okay,
1: thank you.
0: All right, thanks much. I guess that's another one we have to add to the list then.
1: You have the person's name, Mr. Hall? You recognize the voice? Because I'm making a note as well.
0: Yes, yes.
1: Okay, so let me know, and when I do the email later today, I can include them.
0: Thank you. Thank you, my Mm -hmm. dear. The number to call is 1-900-2222-007, or you may text me at 244-7332. Now, some of you like to wait until the last minute, and then <laughs> we have so many calls coming in, and, and um, we're just and out of I've time. So if you want to be part of this conversation, this is your opportunity right now. All right? Now, moving a- a- along, I noticed, and this was um, a ministry you once had it, that some demolition exercises have started taking place in Providenciales, some Mm -hmm. in private quarters. Um, I know, well, you're not in a position to answer in terms of timetable, but I am wondering when will it move to Grand Turk? Because there are some brazen, brazen. Mm -hmm. And I say that because right before our very eyes, right here in the nation's capital, Mm
3: -hmm.
0: people are just building on government property, building on private properties. And all these shacks, in my view, should be torn down. Mm -hmm. And having said that, because, I mean, I I get angry with what I see is happening. We're being overrun by all these illegal sloops day by day. Uh, Britain is talking a little bit more about giving assistance and what have you. Do you have any information to on those Sri Lankans who, from that time, been in this country and we've been paying hotel... uh, feeding them and what have you, even after the successfully sued government. I mean, these things make me angry.
1: I can appreciate the anger, and I do share in the anger as well. So I'm going to be very docile or somber in this response and not use my usual humor to communicate. The Sri Lankan matter is our fault as government and not just this government. It is the fault of the department for failing to make a decision. And when it came time for the judicial review or the court action... Which department? I believe it's immigration. Um,
0: if, if I may interject,
3: mm-hmm.
0: and this is subject, of course, to debate, but my understanding was that the immigration department had already secured charters to get these people out of the country. But then the governor's office, uh, I understand, intervened to say, well, this is bigger than immigration, let's it, handle it, and then the rest ensued. That was my understanding.
1: And that may have been the case, because remember, this would have happened two years before I came in back into the cabinet level of government. So I was in opposition when they arrived in the territory. But in following the case and reading the decision of the court, which, again, because of my other job, I was interested in how this was playing out, there was a delay. And when persons seek asylum, there is a stoppage of the removal of them from wherever they may be. And as a result of that, the prolonged movement of reviewing the application and to be fair to us because i'm going to call a spade a spade we did not have the mechanism to address an application like that these are things that are being passed down on us from the united kingdom that we have to integrate into our laws because we're still a territory and so the ball was dropped in terms of addressing the various applications and giving responses in a timely fashion which is required in the process. But I also appreciate that that department was doing what they thought was best because it's something that we normally address when it comes to repatriating unlawful migrants into the territory. And so given that these persons were detained... And not processed in a timely fashion which the Constitution requires when you're being detained but not charged with a criminal offense because I believe that if they were charged with the criminal offense of unlawful entry into the islands then they could have been sentenced and sent to Grand Turk but because they were just held for days on end in the detention center with no movement that is a breach Or it is what is called habeas corpus, which means I have been detained by the state for no legal reason, despite they did unlawfully enter the territory. Normally, unlawful entry into the territory results in a swift repatriation. But the conundrum for the Sri Lankans was that they could not be repatriated to Haiti because they had no rights to be in Haiti and getting them over to sri lanka would have taken time for the department who did eventually get the provision of getting a charter arranged to take them back to sri lanka but given they filed an asylum claim advising that if they return to sri lanka they would be subject to abuse challenges by the sri lankan people Gang, etc, the Governor's office, being in charge of national security and ultimately part of the asylum process, decided that it would not be reasonable to have them returned home, and so their asylum application needed to be vetted, and the process needed to go through so that's the long and short of it. It's a very long I think we're still having to pay some costs towards their their stay in the islands until the matter is now fully resolved by the court because it is not concluded, unfortunately. There is
0: a legal view, of view in some quarters in other countries, that for an asylum claim to be legitimate, the individual has to come in through a port of entry.
1: Yes. Could that... You- That is the normal way for independent countries. The United Kingdom has only just changed their laws to require asylum seekers to also enter lawfully. And that was done about two or three weeks ago. And so our immigration laws here do mimic those of the United Kingdom. And obviously, those of us that are British Overseas Territory citizens which all Turks and Caicos Islanders would be are subject to those laws there. And England or the United England and Wales, let me say it that way, because no one is smuggling into Scotland and too far and you know, ain't no jobs in Wales. So everybody moving to England. I like Wales. The Welsh people are absolutely amazing and Wales is beautiful. But I digress there a little bit. The England and Wales Parliament, House of Commons, have recently, under Prime Minister Rishi, made it abundantly clear that they will not entertain asylum applications from persons who smuggle their way into the British Isles. So that is very recent. And so now we can also put our foot down in that regard and say that we will not entertain those applications either if persons were smuggled into the territory. Well, uh, we
0: just have about 15 minutes to go. There are two areas that well, I... Well, we
1: were late, so maybe they'll give us our eight minutes back.
0: Well, I suppose the manager is... Oh, no, I
1: got go to go church. Today, Wednesday.
0: On your end, I see. Uh, praying for forgiveness of what you did. Uh, or, no, or, or, I'm a good old Anglican. Or, 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 we love Mass, or, or and we take taking the communion cup again. I see. <laughs> All right. Uh, anyway, the historic budget
1: dun, 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 dun.
0: has been passed. Lots of goodies Confetti. in there. <laughs> Lots of stuff in the pipe. Mm. But I had a very heated sometime discussion last night Many are concerned about how you're going to get these things out of the pipe with all the problems the procurement measures bring uh, into play. Yep. And last year, for instance, there was a lot of money left unspent, yep. and the feeling is it will be the same thing again while contractors and others are hungry and waiting for this to happen. What do you think can be done to expedite matters that the money that is intended for the people reaches them? Yes.
1: So I see on Instagram that the government, along with the head of the public service, had what they call a budget execution workshop. And I'm hoping that coming out of that workshop, there is a streamlined plan for each ministry on how they will get their items out of the pipe and actually onto the road and and giving Turks and Caicos Islanders an opportunity to draw down on those funds to provide the services and or works that are envisioned by the budget. So I'm hopeful that we would have something publicly stated Or maybe during the next session of Parliament, some sort of streamlined plan will be given by each minister in their ministerial statement on how they're going to draw down and have these funds utilized. I did in my contribution raise my concerns about the slowness in which we are addressing the procurement ordinance and the public financial management ordinance. There is no secret, the Premier and I actually had this discussion on Thursday in the dining room. He provided me an update that I'm looking forward to him giving publicly so that I know I'm, I just wasn't being pacified by asking these questions, that the comments and concerns about some of the snag points or the bottleneck in the Public Financial Management Ordinance and the Procurement Ordinance and Rules are on the desk of members of the FCO to see where TCIG can make amendments in the House of Assembly. The These two are ordinances that can only be changed with the consent of the FCO and obviously the Governor's Office if it was squarely in the palms of your elected representatives, we would have made changes from the Rufus Ewing administration because the snag points were there. But I also say that we have way too many capital projects in the budget and this is going to put an unnecessary further burden on the team of PPID and... I know that the gentlemen and ladies that work in that ministry want to do their best, want to achieve all of the big vision, infrastructure, changes that a government may have in the islands. But with the lack of resources, human and tangible, they will struggle. And so I am hoping that each ministry will... Find a project manager or through the premier's delivery unit, the project managers there will be assigned to each ministry to oversee their capital projects. And then PPID will have a streamlined schedule and program for how the projects are to be rolled out out so that they can say, we're focusing on education for the month of June. So all the education projects that need scoping, designing, preparing the ITTs, which would be the invitation to tender, that is the only thing the project management or the project delivery Department of Public Works or PPID will focus on. Then in July, it's the Ministry of Tourism. Same thing, laser focus. The Ministry is committed uh, of tourism. The Ministry of PPID, they're committed. The SPPD department, they're committed. They're focusing all of their energy and attention on the Ministry of Tourism. Then we have those ITTs go out and so forth and so forth. And the reason why I say laser focus needs to be the course that is taken, is when I was the Minister of Education, I found that that was the best approach that we could take. So for two months, the Permanent Secretary, Deputy Secretary, myself, the Minister of Government Support Services, as it was at that time, and I believe it was Honorable Amanda Missick, her team, I think it was P.S. Susan Malcolm, and... I can't remember the DEPSEC, the DEPSEC isn't coming to me right now. We had meeting after meeting to ensure that the project management part of PWD were focusing on education projects and education projects only. Now, that was my style and my approach. We saw the success and benefit of it during an austerity measures term. We were able to construct a new high school that had an intake of the students within that term. We were able to rebuild the Ona-Glinton Primary School from the floor up after the fire. We were able to build the library and administrative block at H.J. Robinson, which then suffered damage from fire. And within 28 days, using the same procurement ordinance, able to bring that back to the table for contractors to bid on and rebuild before the end of that term. And so it is possible, but you need laser focus. You cannot have persons looking all over the way and saying yes to everything that's coming forward. We need the technocrats to be realistic with what they can undertake, and we need ministers to be able to accept the reality of the workload that can be undertaken and to be more streamlined and more cohesive as a team and not have it where I have to get out before the next person in a dog eat dog way. And I believe that if that was the agenda that they went in with on Monday during the budget execution meeting, then we should see the benefit of it. If that wasn't the agenda, Hopefully they have a better agenda than the recommendation that I have just made and we can see the benefit of the works coming out sooner rather than later. And lastly, PWID has just had a change during this budget. They have now lost their Deputy Secretary. She has received a promotion and she's now moved on to the Ministry of Home Affairs as a Permanent Secretary. So I'm hoping and praying that we can get that talent in as a sec sooner rather than later in order to assist with carrying out the PPID Capital Works agenda and move it forward for the betterment of building a resilient and sustainable Turks and Caicos Islands.
0: Thanks much. Um, In part of your answer dealing with the procurement matter, I did assure some bright young men last night that it was my understanding that the government was negotiating with that. You see now, sometimes when I give these explanations, some of them want to view me as an apologist for the government, which mm-hmm. is not so. I, I call a spade a spade. Yeah. But if I am aware of something, I will truthfully explain that to them. I hope, and I know some of them are listening even now, and they'll see, well, what Robert said last night, it was um, quite similar to what Hon. A K said today,
3: mm-hmm.
0: but moving on from there constitutionally, I have said, and some people express skepticism and feel like I'm being a bit naive, not understanding the British, I am sensing a softening of the attitude of the British administration to the remaining overseas territories. And the signals that I am getting out of London would suggest to me that we could look forward to certain positive changes in our Constitution. The premier was in London recently, not only to the coronation, but also to this Organization uh, where the uh, leaders of the overseas territories meet with the Foreign Office and what have you. Mm -hmm. And the signals coming from there were also encouraging. Mm -hmm. Do you share the same optimism as I do?
1: I do share the same optimism. And I think the benefit is that the United Kingdom is going through its own challenges. And they are probably sweeping their front door more than worrying about us in the 14 territories that they have national security and oversight for. I think also the benefit of the leaders of the UK overseas territories coming together and saying to the United Kingdom, you need to release some control on different areas and issues because This is 2023. All of us are trying to build stronger countries. All of us have had our various challenges over the time. And over the years, you can genuinely see where honest, good, respectable persons in the public service have done their job and done their jobs well. And so the overbearing amount of oversight is really unnecessary now. And I am an optimist that we will continue to have some of the reins released on different issues and matters that the FCDO may have held tighter during my first term and started releasing during Honourable Cartwright Robinson's term and now kind of really opening this hand during this current term. But I don't want to sound naive and saying that we still must be cautious in some dialogue and hear what may not be said sometimes. So we have to be shrewd, but we could look forward to our releasing of some of the bottlenecks that may have been experienced over the years. And procurement is to be one of them, as well as the Constitution discussions. Again, the Premier and I had an out-of-chamber Discussion on the progress of that. As you're aware, Mr. Hall, Honorable Hall, I've been a party to the last two constitutional review committees. And during this period, I did have an opportunity to meet and speak with the consultant. And I was in favor of us getting a consultant. And we were able to get Sir Jeffrey Jow, who assisted the Cayman Islands and their recent constitutional changes and success. And so We're using the best in the game to assist us moving forward. And I actually head to London in a few weeks for a workshop at the House of Commons. And Sir Geoffrey and I will also meet up then to have further discussions because we need to move this matter forward and have a constitution that all of us are proud to say is the constitution of the Turks and Caicos Islands.
0: Well, one thing I would say, like I said last night in discussion... Some, of course, don't like when I say it. But I sit back and feel very, very comfortable when persons like yourself and a few others go off to represent Turks and Caicos Islands. I know that we are well represented. I did mention the Honorable Charlene Cartwright-Robinson in that same vein when she was there. And uh, just leveling the playing field for -hmm. those who will be quick to jump up. Oh, partisan, partisan. (laughs) Those are indeed my views. So when you meet with um, whomever they are, Mm -hmm. just nudge them and remind them that we, this is now 2023, as you rightly said. And we need a constitution that not only reflects today, but going into the future. Yes. Tell me something. Mm. I know you read widely. Do you read the various publications of the former Premier, the Honorable Charlene Cartwright-Robinson?
1: I haven't recently, only because my good paper delivery guy, young Jason, hasn't been delivering papers to the office lately, and I am not good at going online to see the local newspapers. But I have read them over the course of the last 18 months since she's been writing them. So I may have missed the one that you maybe want to reference, but over the course of the last 18 months, I have had the the opportunity to read them. And, you know, Drexel Seymour, Leader of the Opposition, I see he's writing more frequently now in the paper. Well, more frequently as in English. He's He's writing frequently now in the paper, and so I'm reading his thoughts as well. No,
0: I said that against a background of a conversation that needs to be had. I, She mm-hmm. spoke of the situation that has festered over the years resulting in the fact that we are outnumbered mm-hmm. and uh, basically outnumbered by a particular single group. mm mm-hmm. Now, while not criticizing her article, because I think, of course, brilliantly written, uh, shedding a light on, but I think the next phase ought to be, and I'm not talking about what she writes, but for us mm-hmm. to knock our heads together and ask the question: What can we do now? The horse has already gone out of the out of the gate, so to speak. So the, the question is: What? can we do to sort of bridge the gap that is emerging?
1: Mm-hmm. So, our address for this government is we stood up the group for called the Population, Population Policy Council. I believe that's what they are. So, during Honorable Cartwright Robinson's term, they had commissioned a study by Cary Consultants on the population of the Turks and Caicos Islands, the ebbs, the flows, the quantity from different countries, as well as where the persons are residing, positioning themselves, and how they have integrated within the workforce. And the report also addressed or made several recommendations as it related to regularizing persons who are in the islands whether they were born in the islands to immigrant parents who had no right to have them born in the islands, meaning that they could not be endorsed on their work permit, but nonetheless, their parents did have a work permit. The child was born here, and the parents have had the work permit for 10 years or so, now triggering the ability of the child to be registered as a British Overseas Territory citizen, pursuant to the British Nationality Act with a tie to the Turks and Caicos Islands, therefore providing them the right to remain, work and stay in the islands because they would have been here for the first 10 years. And so the Population Policy Report had outlined some measures that could be undertaken if accepted by government of providing the opportunity to regularize all persons Who are in the islands who are not regularized, meaning they don't have a work permit, they don't have a passport, but they did enter lawfully. So this would be persons who entered the islands lawfully. Let me make sure I make that abundantly clear, (laughs) because I know mischief could start. And so this council, which has Honorable Donnie Gardner, Honorable William Belliard on it. I can't remember the other council members, but I do know those two. Because I've been in dialogue with them, in discussion with them on my recommendations and ideas. In order to address the elephant in the room, you will have to regularize those persons. Then you have to close the door. Because what we are unable to do with the amount of manpower we have, and I can understand persons saying, well, Britain should send down sh- soldiers, is identify the persons, pick them up, and deport them to where? at the end of the day, they've been in these islands, they were lawfully in the islands, and over the course of their period in the islands, their migration moved from regular to irregular. And so that is a very nuanced thing that we are the only overseas territory out of 14 that have to deal with this issue. And I believe that... Given we are the only ones, this is why the FCO has really not gotten that intimately involved because their goal is to kind of do a broad scope oversight of all 14 territories. So they look at the Caribbean territories as one and they're like, okay, what do the Caribbean territories need? And so with this being only an issue that the Turks and Caicos Islands have to deal with, we have to come up with our own creative solution. The council has their funding. they have been meeting. I believe that their report is due at any minute to the cabinet, which will then determine the different paths that they're recommending. So how they propose for us to regularize those that are here, I believe it would be not to give full citizenship. Of course, that is sacred. We're not just going to be throwing Islander status out there to Tom, Dick, Harry, Lou and Sue, but to give some form of residential. Status, which would quell the disturbance that is constantly happening when those persons are picked up by Immigration Task Force and sought to be deported, but they have no documentation that shows that they have a connection to any host or home country. Their connection is purely here in the islands by virtue of them being born in the islands. So there's some residential style of permit that is being considered. I understand. I'm not saying that the decision has been made, but it is being considered. Then the exercise of seeking to deport those who are here unlawfully. We would have heard from Minister Immigration and Deputy Governor or Acting Governor yesterday on the operation that is currently underway. Operation, I think, Pursuit is its name, where they will be seeking to Deport those who have unlawfully entered into the islands, which would be the normal thing that needs to be done. And last but not least, we really need to make up our mind on how we want to continue growing the population of these islands in order to have access to the intellectual capital that we need in certain industries in order to have the human capital to build development in new industries like if we want to be a technological hub and we want to attract persons who are going to work in artificial intelligence where are we going to get them from and un- are we un- now un- going un- to send okay. five students off to study artificial intelligence in the next scholarship round
0: yeah, we'll, we'll sorry it was a long answer yeah, to we'll, a short we'll, question we're right out of time but um i hope management does a knocking on the wrist for that but i just okay. let's take this final call Make it uh, just just twenty seconds, caller.
2: Morning, Mr. Hall. Ask the honourable AK for me, this Jackie. If she is in full support of what the United Nations say about uh illegal immigrants, do not deport them back, keep them I mean, ask her what is her view on that personally, what she
5: thinks if she is in support of the United Nations.
0: Thank you. Okay, I'm sure she heard you loud yep. and clearly. So uh honourable uh, thank you, Jax, for the call. Twenty seconds. Easy response.
1: answer, no. I don't agree with the United Nations. I've actually expressed this to the United Nations about three months ago. I was on a training webinar with them, with Honorable Belliard, and we made it abundantly clear that the Turks and Caicos Islands is not in a position to do as they are recommending big independent countries to do. And what we have advised is that the United Kingdom, if they want to make detention key, in the Turks and Caicos Islands to hold these persons and not deport them to home, then they will need to dig deep in their coffers and develop detention key and manage it as a United Kingdom key and keep Turks and Caicos Islanders out of that keeping people here who enter your country unlawfully. So short answer, no. I do not agree with the United Nations, Uh, and I have told them that so.
0: uh, Thanks much. As much as I wanted to go on and talk about the possibilities of uh, gay sex, um, gay and lesbian uh, stuff, uh, same sex marriage, uh, about what we need to do to stem the flow of our people leaving the country, what we need to do to develop pride in Turks and Caicos, time won't permit. So, 10 seconds closing comments, Honorable. Sorry to, to do it that way.
1: That's fine, Mr. Hall. I think. We definitely need to be more prideful in the fact that we are Turks and Caicos Islanders and stop complaining when other countries decide that they are going to celebrate their countries. We should be celebrating the Turks and Caicos Islands so much and in everything that we do that other countries would not, in their right mind, decide that they should also have space to celebrate their country and their legacy. We'll get there. We're not there yet, but we'll get there. Young people who are leaving, please, please get your experience, but come home. You need to help us build this country. I promise you, it needs you. It needs your talent. It needs your interest. It needs your support. Yes is a challenge. But you are strong, and so you can face challenges head-on successfully. But please do not leave your gifts and talents in another man's country and pay their taxes as well. Bring it home and help us build these beautiful by nature Turks and Caicos Islands. And last but not least, I'm ever grateful to the amazing people of Leeward and Long Bay who have given me this amazing gift. To be their member of parliament to be their voice to be their advocate to be their counselor and to be their petitioner and i will continually hold up your needs and concerns and have that at the forefront of my colleagues feet who are in cabinet and i will always speak openly honestly and transparency on any and everything i do that has your name on it And last but not least, I thank my immediate family, my friends, and my supporters across the world for their continued love, guidance, and encouragement. That was more than 10 seconds, but the director is here in the studio, so he's giving me a bligh.
0: Uh, Thank you very much. (laughs) And all I will have to say in just five seconds, Monday coming is a national holiday uh, in honor of our first and only national hero. So go on out and... uh, Uh, celebrate the occasion. Yes. Honorable AK, I want to thank you very much. Keep up the good work and God bless you.
1: Take care. God bless you.
0: For all my listeners, uh, thanks for participating in the program. Join me again on Friday when we hope to have yet another very interesting and informative expressions.